Hi, everybody. I'm Mike Hancock, the Chairman of Circle of Excellence Group, and welcome to today's call. We have Dave Greenberg. Now, Dave just said he always looks forward to my introduction. So my introduction is actually very simple for Dave. Um, he is a man who spent most of his adult life hanging upside down out of the bottom of a helicopter. And uh, Philip, I know you're on the call and uh, you've probably seen Dave uh, hanging upside down out of the bottom of a helicopter over Wellington in many years because he was part of the Westpac helicopter rescue team. And the number of lives he saved is unquestionable. I couldn't put a number on it. I read something about it in your book, but I read your book two years ago, Dave. It's fantastic. But as we move from 2020 into 2021, um, there's a lot of changes in the world. And Dave, I want to explain to you one of the reasons why I asked you to get on the call it became so apparent to me this morning when I was, when I was walking the dog just before this call. So um, I normally do these calls. It's at 9 a.m. my time. Well, it's my South Africa time. And, you know, I was out walking the dog at seven o'clock. And this is what I experienced this morning. Um, we live on the beach, but there's a park between us and the beach. And as I got across the park, there were a lot of police cars in the park, which is not usual. Then um, there were a lot of bystanders around, which is not usual because normally the park's um, devoid of people. And then standing on top of his car screaming um, in Afrikaans was some guy. And he was standing on the roof of his RV. So it's not a small car screaming at everybody. Now, when I came back and told Landy, she said, basically, um, she's noticed that there's a lot of prophets around at the moment, a lot of people driving around with religious sayings, a lot of people thinking it's the end of the world. And it actually did. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense to me. It actually did have that feel to it. So Dave Greenberg is a specialist in crisis management. And that came from all of his years in hanging out at the bottom of helicopters and saving lives. And of course, for you, Dave, um, one of the biggest challenges, I think one of the probably the biggest challenge in your life was the day that you, you know, got told you could no longer hang out at the bottom of the helicopter. So before we get into crisis, that was your crisis there. Um, and so just give everybody a little bit of background. How long had you been doing this um, in the rescue team, saving lives? A little bit of background for people who haven't met you before. Um, how many people or how many missions that involved during your career? And then, you know, what happened on the day you got told, hey, Dave, you know, you've done enough, buddy. Um, there's somebody newer coming in and, you know, maybe you're, you know, getting on a bit and you should retire. I wish that was the reason. Um, Kior, everyone. Um, as you could probably tell, I'm not from New Zealand. I grew up in New York and was always a volunteer firefighter and paramedic in the States. Saved my first life when I was 13 years old, a stranger on the street in Manhattan. Um, did CPR and helped save his life. So for me, that was like the day I knew I definitely wanted to be a fireman or emergency services. Uh, but my parents wanted me to be successful and we didn't see it as being the same. So I thank them for this all the time. I ended up in an IT career and my IT career brought me to New Zealand for one year in 1990. And in the second year of my one year contract, I 
was lucky enough, and I think we create our own luck, lucky enough to get on as a volunteer crew member with the Wellington Westpac Rescue Helicopter. And that went on to be a 25-year career and about 4,000 missions, just shy of 4,000 missions. Um, yeah, so a part of a team that saved a lot of lives, made a lot of good difference. And the, um, it, it was, it was the life. It was my passion. I was having a great time. And then one day I pissed off one of the members, the trustees of our board. And next thing I knew, my job was disestablished. And not only was I a crewman, I was the media spokesman. I, um, I was the operations manager. Yeah, yeah I, I, I thought I had a job for life if I wanted it. Um, the day I found out, um, it was in a meeting with the management team and the, the words were, your job is disestablished. And then the new position is whatever it was and no one in the organization um, will be able to fulfill it. So they let me know in no uncertain terms I was done. And I walked out of the building. I text my best mate who was working a few blocks away, nearly got hit by a bus. I literally was so distracted. I walked um, out of the HBC, um, HBSC building straight into the, the traffic and there was a bus coming and luckily I didn't get hit. Um, and I was devastated and thought if one more person told me when one door closes, another one opens, I would have slammed their head in the door. Um, <laughs> what I related to now, when, when I was married, we lost a baby. And the worst thing people said to Jenny was, oh, you'll be able to have another one. And that is not a comforting thing. People think it's comforting. Well, another, you know, one door closes, another opens is kind of um, not the most useful thing to hear. But here I am five years later, my God, the number of doors that have opened, uh, thanks to the helicopter career and thanks for being lucky and, and taking some great opportunities and seeing them for opportunities and grabbing them. So yeah, it's worked out pretty well. So Dave, let's, before we get into the, the, the crisis stuff and what's happening in the world, and you've got some great formulas that you use and teach companies, you know, in New Zealand and, and more broadly that you've done in, in the US, Australia, I know that I know of. Um, I'm interested to ask everybody a question here and you can just type yes in the chat. Have you ever had a situation like Dave's had where you've had really the rug pulled out from underneath you because you've pissed somebody off or something like that. And they've, they've literally taken your, your dream away. Um, 100% Philippe, 100% Shazar, um, Mike Hancock, 100% as well. I used to tell the story to, at a three-day event we did called Rock Your Business. Um, Phil Silverman, yes. Moira, several. Um, it happens to truth tellers often. I couldn't agree more. Nicola, yes. Um, Rugby is notorious. So yeah, you're right, Filippo. So so true, right? And I mean, that's a that's a really good thing. Professional sports, and you know, I was in the music business, and you know, if you watch music documentaries, uh, what was one I was watching recently? Um, oh, you know, you only got to look at the the story of Guns and Roses and how many people turned up after touring with them for two years to go. Oh, why are you here? You don't have a job anymore. And it's like, well. 
Last week I was playing to 40,000 people. This week I'm playing to 10 in my local pub. So this is the interesting thing. So it's, it's not about what happens to you. It's about what you do about it, which is what um, W. Mitchell says, a, a, an old friend. So Dave, you, you took this and then you went into speaking and consulting and you developed a, a model which you call the six R's. Um, so let's jump straight into the six R's and um, if you want to share those, uh, did you have a presentation at all? Yeah, I'll try to okay. share my screen. I, I, I'll just I make you co-host, I forgot to do that. So there you go. Okay. Come up now. Uh, well, while we're doing that, um, I know something funny there. Let's see if I could figure this out. Um, when I okay, I'll do it a different way. Sorry, I wasn't set up to show it, but we could definitely make this work. Um, just figure out which screen it's on, and we'll be good. But in my book, I actually said to um, I talked about the fact that. I tried not to feel too bad because every rugby player or sports player was one injury away from losing the life they love. And every pilot was one medical away from losing the life they loved. And again, it's like one door closes, but uh, it, it is good to have that perspective. Sometimes it is good to know you're not the only person in the world um, suffering from something and it makes it a little bit easier, but the six R's and here they come. Um, sorry, new computer and it is being a pain. But Whilst I could talk doing through... that, I'm loving the fact that uh, that you're struggling with uh, with the bane of COVID, which is how to share your screen on on Zoom as well. And uh, you know, it's funny those of us that that love Zoom and and those sort of things. You know how actually how difficult it is actually with this technology to make stuff work and, you know, things yep. like Mentimeter and everything else. Now, Dave, if you can't find the slide, if you want yeah, to bring. No, I can't, I can't do it. I have to get out of Zoom to do it. I'll, I'll, they're pretty simple. Uh, yep. Well, they're simple to me because I love them. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll make the, the presentation available. I'll figure out a way. I'll put it up on my website where you guys have a link to just, it. Afterwards. Uh, just pop it on the Facebook group after Nicola shares the, oh, um, after she cool. shares yeah. the, the recording. That'd be great. That's it. So the six R's, they come from New Zealand emergency management. And so from a New Zealand emergency management point of view, we look at all hazards, whether they be man-made or um, natural hazards. But the first one is reduction. And that's looking at the things, what can I do today to reduce the effect of something that might or might not happen in the future? So the example I use is um, councils that have a flooding problem. They could put up stop banks or they could um, change zoning laws so people can actually put houses where the areas flood or they might spend money on stormwater. But they do things to reduce the effect um, before it happens. And the, the really topical one at the moment is vaccines. Vaccines are a form of reduction. People get a flu vaccine to prevent the the problems of having flu or COVID um, vaccine. So reduction is the first R. Second one is readiness. No, I just want to, I just, before, before oh, we get into cool. readiness, Dave, sorry to interrupt. You, yeah, no worries. You, um, you gave some absolute genius there that's so applicable to everybody on this call 
but people may not have picked it up because it was sort of a throwaway. So I'm going to say it slowly for people. And, and then I just want to dig into this a little bit before we get into readiness. Yep. So the first one is the first R is for reduction. Your question was, what can we do today to reduce the impact of something we know might happen that day? So if you look at this from your own business point of view, what can you do today to reduce the impact of something that could happen either that day or at some stage in the future? So the, the obvious one for people at the moment is cash flow, um, yep. is client cancellations and, and things like that. So that question is really valid for everybody in our own crisis management at the moment. What can we do today to reduce the impact of that? Um, and if you look at that as an example, uh, in South Africa, those of you that are on the call from South Africa know that, you know, we've got a curfew from 9pm till 6am, alcohol's not allowed to be sold, restaurants have to be shut by 7pm. I mean, they've been on with this for a year now. I mean, I'm surprised any restaurant's got any money left to open. So... I know restaurants are going into, um, they can't go into meetings, but they're going into mocktail tasting. They're going into home deliveries. They're going into cooking classes. They're going into um, buy now, deliver later or come later type of things. They're doing all those sort of things to put off what might happen in future, which is which is uh, lack of access to cash flow. Do you, hey, Dave, do you have any comments on that before we go to number two? No, when I was thinking about it from personal crisis and business crisis, that the cash flow was the one. So I'm going to share something. Mike knows this. Uh, Dennis might know it. Uh, when I first met Mike, I, I wasn't handling the whole getting out of the helicopter probably as well as I could. I was procrastinating and I was having huge cash flow problems. And in the last 18 months, I've turned it from quite a big negative to quite a big positive. And one of the things I did is when I just finally sat down and looked at my own life, I, I just went ahead and changed the way I spent money, the way I saved money, my priorities. So that's what I did. I said, you know, I didn't see COVID coming. Most people didn't. Uh, but I certainly ended up in a good position to come into it. Because if I was where I had been two years before, I totally would have been in the crap. It would have been pretty bad for me. Yep. Yep. So you took action and, and you know, so many people... Well, they think they make more money. And I know um, many people on this call know Lisa Dudson. She's part of our Circle of Excellence, New Zealand's number one financial planner. She will tell you so many horror stories of people making half a million dollars a year who are so far in debt that, you know, they're just being wiped out at the moment. So it's not about how much you earn. It's about what you do with that resource. Okay, Dave, let's jump to number two. So number two is readiness. And readiness is... The things we have ready, so when the, the stuff hits, you're, you're ready. I shared a cartoon, actually, in the Facebook of um, Sam's fans and uh, Marty's manure about to hit each other. So when the stuff hits the fan, and for me, readiness is getaway kits. It's water and kits at home in case the earthquake hits. But personally, it's the readiness of actually having cash, having a bit of cash, knowing 
that if the ATMs, if there's a power outage and the ATMs go down and the FPOS machines go down, cash still is king. So having a couple of hundred, couple of thousand, whatever you could afford ready um, is a big step there. And, but it's what do I need to do today to get ready? And another big part of that is training. And I have spent heaps of money on training in the last two years and didn't even know I was doing some of it, but I, I bought a software program to do videos, um, to make my own videos. And I'm about to launch a video program this week where I already have 400 people signed up from government. And it was kind of knowing I wanted to go there and then being ready when it hit that I didn't have to start again. So that's the second R is readiness. And yeah, so for me, it's about what we do to get ready for an earthquake and everything else in the life. Let's, yeah, let's pick up readiness because I, I, I love what you said there and you, you talked about cash flow, for instance, um, but you also talked about learning new skills. Now, you know, some people have spent 2020 um, updating their Netflix skills. And, you know, whilst there's some advantage to that, um, you know, because I too have found a couple of great new shows, not on Netflix, by the way, but I have. But um, actually, the one I have to tell you about was referred to me by um, a Turkish guy um, who says, because uh, he, he found out that I really am interested in the Byzantine era, and he put me onto a show called Ertigal, which you can find on, on, um, on Netflix. And he, he gave me a warning, but Lundy and I thought he was joking. And so we sat down, we watched eight of these shows. They're very good, by the way. They're, you know, they're, they're mediocrely budgeted, but really good shot about the, the story of the coming to power of the Ottoman Empire. But there are 476 episodes. <laughs> I kid you not. Go and look at your own Netflix. Now, we just went, we cannot go down this rabbit hole. But to get back from, from kidding around... Um, one of the things that I noticed, and I won't mention their names because there's a lot of political stuff going on in the world at the moment. We know, you know, many people love Trump, many people hate Trump, many people love Biden, many people hate Biden, many people love Jacinda, many people hate him, many people love Scott Morrison, many people hate him, many people love Ramaphosa, etc. The list goes on and on, let alone Boris Johnson, Andrea Merkel, you name it. But a very well-known politician um, globally has been advocating that people should take spare money at the moment and invest in gold and silver. And we've been talking about this, Lani and I have been talking about this because, you know, we take everything for granted as human beings. We take for granted that the internet is here. Did you know, folks, that the founding father of the internet is currently in development of a brand new internet because he thinks this internet is so plagued with BS that he wants to give an alternative to people who, um, and who cannot propagate false news and own agendas and all of that sort of stuff. Yep, that's, uh, that's Tim Berries Lee. You've got him, Kate. So, um, so he is actually working on a second internet at, uh, at the moment. So we take this for granted. We take the fact that money's for granted, it's in our bank account. Ask the people in Cyprus if money was in their bank account, um, you know, 10 years ago. No, the whole Cyprus banks got wiped out. So having a bit of diversification, using a downtime to learn new skills 
um, learning how to become more self-sustainable and things like that. You know, if you're if you've always just been a speaker, learn to become a consultant. If you've always just been a consultant, learn to become a coach. Those type of skills, I think, Dave, are really dropping on the back of what you're saying. Do you have a view on that at all? Uh, I have had to, and I hate the word, but I've pivoted so much in the last few years, but particularly in the last year. And I am now working for the Ministry of Health as on the COVID team. So New Zealand, very lucky enough to be doing very well with COVID. I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. One is because I love being involved in response, but I'm also looking at the opportunities when COVID's over and the borders are open to be able to go around the world and speak about how New Zealand handled the COVID. Um, you know, because we we have done better than a lot of countries. So I'm always looking forward to what can I turn this into an opportunity later, and, and, which is something I never did when I was on the helicopter. I I wish, you know, I've got regrets. And um, but one of them is I could have gotten a master's degree paid for by my employers in emergency management. And I didn't do anything until after I left. And then it was on my own back. And I, I've got a, a diploma, but that grad diploma is the reason I was able to get the job at the ministry. And I didn't want to do it. And someone really kicked my butt and said, you've got to get it. If you want to work in government, you've got to do that. You're not on the helicopter anymore. Um, yeah, very so good it, advice. Yeah, so it, it's, I've become a lot better at... Um, taking my helicopter skills and applying them in my own life, I mean, both in speaking and just in how I live my life. And it's, uh, I'll talk about something else after the R's that I've, I found today when I was looking for something for tonight. But um, the, the next R is response. And that's when the stuff hits the fan. Um, or it's when you just need to be taking action in your business or in your personal life. And that's when you, you just got to go. You've got to, if you did your readiness and your reduction, okay, then when response hits, things are better. Uh, an example, we've been working our bums off at the COVID um, directorate we knew there would always be another case in the community. It's just impossible there wouldn't be. And one hit on the weekend, a woman who had been through managed isolation. And here we are two days later and through a little bit of luck because there is always luck involved in every response, but from a lot of good planning, uh, there's only one case. Her, her closest, her husband, uh, people she spent time with, everyone's testing negative. But what's happening is all the people who are supposed to be using the scanning app and scanning and the numbers have been down over Christmas and New Year's and testing stations were empty. Well, they're all full. And the, the one thing I've always known uh, is that when I was had my business and I was selling earthquake kits, I had a 24 hour window after the earth shook to sell my earthquake kits because that was the only time people were interested. So I stopped selling them because if I, I needed to find something new that people would buy every day, not just 24 hour after earthquakes. Um, so the response I've written down is the time when I'm actively doing something to deal with the incident, whatever that happens to be. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really interesting point. I remember, you know, the, when I was studying and we did psychology and everything like that, they always said there's, there's this whole fight or flight syndrome, right? That we're inbred with, with humans. And then uh, when I met my good buddy, Glenn Levy, a, a number of years ago, um, he said to me, it's not true. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the number one response from people in a situation of crisis is freeze. So it's sort <clears> of like, you know, a lion runs out from the bush in, or runs out in the middle of Queen Street, Auckland. People aren't going to start running. People certainly aren't going to attack it. They're going to go, ah. And yep. so, but most of the, I think the secret there is how quickly you can recover from that freeze to that action. And this is, um, you know, it can be a trained response. I mean, if you look at a, a martial arts fighter or something like that, they're, they're trained, even if they walk down the street, if somebody jumps out with a knife, they've already, it's built into them response, right? It's, it's a motor mm. neurone response as well. But we have to train ourselves to respond to things. We have to train ourselves from a mindset perspective by filling our mind full of good stuff. All the things that I was talking about on last call, you know, meditation, um, you know, law of attraction stuff and things like that so that we are well prepared. Um, you know, because it, life's a funny thing. You know, often when we travel and we say to people, and, and Colin would appreciate this, um, is that, you know, people say, oh, you're living in South Africa now. Isn't it dangerous? And we go, uh, well, I, get, I got this, you know, I was um, with somebody the other day and they were going, oh, isn't South Africa so dangerous compared to New Zealand? I go, well, yeah, I guess there's more chance of me being, you know, mugged at a traffic light here, but at least I'm not going to get a group of organised criminals come in my house and beat me senseless and take everything in the house. So, you know, and then people go, oh, New Zealand's so safe. Well, tell all the people at the mosque in Christchurch, Oh, France is so safe. Tell all the people at the Paris bombing. So there's always something going on. There's an earthquake, you know, there is yeah. um, a typhoon, you know, you don't want to live in the Bahamas or something like that. The cyclones, we all have these crises. Some of them are um, what nature causes, i.e. COVID and others are what we have happened in our own business as well. So your ability to respond, Dave, do you have any tips on, how to, or what, what is a process of response or something like well, that that you would recommend? Funny enough, when, when you were talking, I remembered a quote uh, that I heard years ago about when, when stuff happens, we don't rise to the occasion, we sink to the level of our training. And that Very is good. so true. It, it's, uh, we all like to think we rise to the occasion, but really, truly, so for me, I'm probably less likely to be the one freezing when something happens because I've got this train response that why everyone else stops, I'm the one who's going in. But there will certainly be things that freeze me in my tracks. And, um, and I don't know of any way to train for anything. And I talk about this in my, uh, my incident training about standard operating procedures. You could you need them, but they can't possibly cover everything. So they give you a base for response and then you add your experience and your training and everything else on top of it. So, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, 
people have different words and they, um, I, I was in a, the professional speaking association, I'm on the board here in New Zealand. And one of the women said something about us being in crisis mode and everyone else stopped and said, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, well, we've lost whatever members and, and everyone else was perceiving it as a good thing that we're getting, you know, just turning over people. And, and it was just a shocking thing. But then when I would talk to her, she lives her life, this particular person in a place where everything's going to frighten her. And yeah. yeah, and it's a, it's a scary place to be, but there are definitely things that scare me, but they're not the, the physical ones, but being a, a goddad to um, a young girl, <laughs> Georgia, it was horrible because she wanted me to go on the biggest roller coaster at Disneyland because her dad wouldn't. And I, there was no way I would get on that on my own. Um, but I couldn't say to her I wouldn't. So I just got on and we had a good time. And it was just because this eight-year-old at the time, I, I was too embarrassed to say no. So we, we do have ways to get through the stuff. It's just not always apparent. Yeah, and I think the, the, the key here is the better trained, and I won't use the word trained because I think you're right, the better prepared our mind is, the more, you know, it's, it's something Lundy says. She says, you know, most people walk around their glasses full, like my coffee cup here, you know, it's, it's, it's empty. So it's got plenty of space to, to take on board new things in a crisis. But if it's full, it's, it's got nowhere to go. Dave, I want to get into the fourth R, but uh, just as, as you're um, thinking what you're going to say there, I will say that um, one of the weird things in South Africa is where, where nobody's allowed to go to the beach. So, But we've finally worked it out. It's because the government's realised that COVID comes in waves. So um, let's go to number four. <laughs> well, funny enough, based on something you're saying, number four is um, recovery. So you've gone through the incident. Now recovery is too, well, it's many things, but if we look at the Christchurch earthquakes, those, those were 10 years ago, and Christchurch as a city isn't yet recovered, it's still rebuilding. Yeah. So people think about recovery as getting back to BAU, business as usual, but it's sometimes about getting ready for the new BAU, um, taking the opportunity to recreate what you had. So I lost the helicopter. My first instinct was to find another helicopter job. And but I was 52 yep. years old. I loved Wellington. I had too many parameters. There was only one helicopter I could work on. And that wasn't going to be so my BAU had to become something new. I had to create something new. Um, and the other part just on that is recovery is also about rest. And one of the boss I've got at um, health at the moment is ex-SAS. And when it's quiet, he sends everyone home. It, it could be right. noon or one in the afternoon. And, and he is very big on rest as a weapon. And when the stuff hits the fan, we're going to be here 18 hours a day. And you can't store your sleep, but you can go relax, shut off the computer, do other stuff. So having a boss that does that is great, but it, it makes me do it for myself too. Like I've been busy this um, weekend doing my videos and a couple of times I've just gone for a walk, had a nap, done something just to change my state and just do a little bit of recovery. So really important thing to remember to do in our lives. 
Yeah, very true. And, uh, and we've been working with the number one speaking bureau in Africa and and uh, they, they're telling Landy and I, and actually we've, we're working with them again this week, but uh, they're, they're telling Landy and I that uh, the number one thing that all corporations are asking for at the moment is somebody to help them with greater resilience. Yeah, and you would think that that would be one of my R's, but it isn't. But resilience is part of this whole thing, the having the resilience to keep on going back and doing it again. And But if we don't get the rest, if we don't take time to recover, we're going to break down either physically, mentally or something. So it's a really important R. Yeah, very true. And the speakers that are on this call can morph their talk to a resilient talk. Um, what yeah, are we up to? I've uh, number five, down. are we? Yep, relationships. Uh, so for me, when I was on the helicopter, I, I had everyone's phone number. I had all the cops, all the firemen, all the people that I could. You can't have them all. But when the stuff hits the fan, you want, if your phone rings, you want to have someone's number that's, because it could be a, a known don't know who it is, I'm going to hang up in the middle of a response. But if it's someone important to the response, so the relationships, they need to be good ones because you don't want to call someone and they go, oh, it's Dave and hit the red button. You want to know you've got a relationship that when everything is going on and no one's got time that they see your number come up and they go, he wouldn't be calling unless it was important and take that time. And, and, you know, I'm quite lucky in New Zealand terms. I've, I work very closely with Ashley Bloomfield, who's the Director General of Health. He's a civil servant who's the best known person in New Zealand. And we walk down Molesworth Street together and people are just pointing and, you know, it's, it's quite bizarre for him. But, but I've got his number and one day I needed him and I rang him and he answered the phone. And he gets a lot of phone calls he ignores but he knew if I was ringing him on a Sunday, it was important. So right. having those pre-established relationships or creating them as quick as you can once the stuff does start happening is it makes response go much, much better. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I think it, you know, we we it's the key to everything really is relationships. And particularly in this time, um, it's the key to getting a lot of stuff done. Yep. And then number six, one of my big bugbears in life. So the R is review or lessons right. identified. We as people always talk about lessons learned. And the truth is lessons aren't learned until behavior changes. And I see this all the time. I saw it on the helicopter. I see it at health. I see it everywhere. Something goes wrong. We all notice it and we go, well, we shouldn't do that again. Whew, we learned that lesson. And then we do the same thing again the next time. So we identify lessons we're not learning from them. And right. that, you know, those who don't learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. That is this one. And the example I use in my trainings quite often is we all know someone, including me, who... Um, you know, ran up the credit card, then finally paid it off and said, phew, that was a good lesson learned. And then six months later, the credit card's full. All you did is pay off the credit card. You didn't learn anything. Yep. So 
not only do we have to identify the lessons, but then you have to update your doctrine, your procedures, whatever. You need to change your training, and then you actually need to change your behavior. Very good. Dave, um, I'm going to try and find, uh, I'll see if I can do this, which is uh, I'm going to try and find those six R's. Let's just do that because I may have them here. I could email them to you so you could do it. Ah, why don't I do that? And you could play it. Yeah, let's, I can play them. Yep, you email them to me and I'll, I'll play them for you. Let's, uh, let's, yeah. jump in, let's jump into, before we get into a couple of other things you want to share, I'm interested to get some feedback now from people on the call as to what stood out for them so far for something that they can apply in their own life or in their own business from this. And as we do that, I'll just remind you that the six R's are reduction. In other words, what you can do today to reduce the impact of what might happen. Readiness, so what training or, or getting ready resources can you have? Response, um, what, what are you gonna do when actually a crisis hits? Recovery. Do you have a recovery plan? What do you need to start considering now in order to have a recovery plan? Relationships. What have you done about relationships in the last you know, year or so to build them? And then obviously, you know, where you've been in crisis before, if, have you actually reviewed that? And is there a behavioral change from that or is it still happening the same, same way? So let's see if anybody wants to share anything. And... Um, whilst you're emailing that through, Dave, and then uh, I'll put that up on the screen for people. Yeah, it's on the way to you now. Feel free to unmute and talk. How was I go? Hi. Yep. Hello. Hey, mate. How's Filippo? Hey, hey Mike. Uh, hey, Dave. And uh, hi, everyone. Uh, Merry, uh, goodness, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's. <laughs> yep. Uh -huh. uh, look, um, just one thing. Um, I was, in a, I was in a call today, um, this morning. Um, so there's a client I've been trying to chase for about a year. So the, so the guy, um, the guy works for a, for a private law firm. Um, so he called me uh, today, and I was and I was on one bar on my phone. I one percent on my phone. Uh, so I was sort of not panicking. I was sort of like just staying calm. Um, and then it was a bit of a, you know. Uh, Bit of a not of a crisis, but I had to really uh, had to had to put on the on, on the game face in terms of take uh, time on the phone. I knew I only had probably like thirty seconds. So as he was going, he was he was telling me about the pricing, uh, like how much I'll, I'm going to charge for the um, for the for this workshop for them. And then all of a sudden, the, the, my my phone goes dead. <laughs> so so. <laughs> And so in the crisis moment, I sort of freeze and I put the face I to take action. And it's uh, and I took and I set up the Zoom link and he's not recording a bit. So I just uh, I just uh, waited for a while, for a couple of hours, and I emailed back to say, look, I'll call you tomorrow morning at eleven o'clock and we can uh, discuss uh, uh, what we spoke today. Um, so I guess yeah. So um, so that was my sort of response. Uh, so so at the moment I'm just uh, recovering and and hoping that it's uh, all good tomorrow and signed off. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that. I mean, that's typically the thing. I mean, there's certain people that I, I can almost guarantee when I speak to them, they, they 
every second time so hang on i've got to plug my computer in hang on i've got to do this hang on i've just got to do that they're they're literally preparation is one big thing and i'm not saying you're not prepared for leave but you're incredibly prepared 99.999% of the time, obviously, like I am, like most of the people on this call. But if you are a person who tends to run first and pick up the pieces later, it's not going to work out that well for you in this situation. Um, Shazar Dave says this, the importance of preparing, there you go, so you have fast response, understanding the similar things that keep you healthy, for example, can also help you, can also help the response time. So any comments on what Filippo said or what Shazar said, and I'll drop up the, the, the stuff on the screen because we have that. Uh, I think both Shazar and um, Filippo make good points. And there is no straightforward way to just do being prepared. Uh, and the the thing I'm going to share a mind map with you, which is what I did for earthquake preparedness. And one of the things about that is everything's numbered number one: water, food, warmth, and shelter, first aid, because they're all important. And we all have different lives, and we don't. I don't know what's important in your lives. If you've got your dog, then pet food is important in your kit. I don't have a dog. I wouldn't even think about pet food. So when people ask me for advice about how do I get ready for an earthquake, I talk in general terms as, and then you've got to apply to your own life. And I think the same applies with the rest of the stuff. Exactly. Uh, make sure you take your screenshots, folks. And, and Dave, uh, my dog wouldn't uh, pack pet food either. Um, yeah, well, no, that, okay, so with the gourmet food you're eating, then the dog would have that too, got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to come back as your dog in my next life. That's, um, <laughs> well, more more specifically, I want to come back as Landy's dog, but yeah. I could have that wrong. Right the, we um, understand what you're trying to say. We understand it. Yeah. So you said you wanted to share something, something else. What was that? Uh, so one of the other ones, so I, in my past life, and I still use it in my lessons, I did a lot of crew or cockpit resource management. And that was teaching pilots and crew how to communicate critically. There's a lot of components. But one of the really interesting things is that we teach that if the stuff happens in the plane, unless it's pointing downward, heading for the ground, the first thing you should do when all the alarms are going off and all the lights are going is stop and sit on your hands for 30 seconds or a minute. And so don't get so caught up in pressing the buttons and turning the switches that you miss the big picture. And it is so, it, it's against everything our instincts tell us to do. We wanna stop the buzzers, we wanna press the buttons. But yet there's a plane that crashed in the States in Florida in the 70s. Three pilots got so caught up with a light bulb that was, wasn't working and they indicated that their landing gear wasn't down. In the end, they crashed, the light bulb was burnt out. And so it wasn't a matter of the gear wasn't down, but they got so distracted by this one light bulb that they killed a lot of people. And we do that. We get so drawn into the one light bulb or the one bulb. So when it's all happening for me, um, 
whether it's at work or in my life, I, I do try to just sit on my hands and figure out um, what's going on. And, and the other thing, and the, it's in the PowerPoint, knowing how we got in the shit doesn't necessarily help us get out of it. And yep. we get so worried about why did this happen that we forget to fix the problem. Um, and the example I used in a talk the other day, our first resurgence of COVID back in August, we, um, if we only solved how did he get it, we never would have solved it because we're here eight months later and we don't know how the first case actually got the COVID. So, but we got busy contact tracing, doing all the other things to solve the problem. But people's general way of fixing problems is to figure out what went wrong, not how do I fix it. And uh, I would highly recommend that the only reason it matters why you got into the problem is if it might happen again while you're trying to fix it. And that I've seen in both sides of my life, my personal life, my professional life, and in the helicopter. Yeah, a very, very good points. And it was interesting that when when the COVID hit in, in March of 2020, um, you know, Lundy and I got back to South Africa from New Zealand. Um, we self-quarantined yep. for a couple of weeks, a kilometre down the road from our house, um, just because, you know, we had her grandmother staying here at the time. And basically what we decided then is we decided that our number one action at that time was to do nothing for four weeks until after Easter. And we were just going to sit back and literally sit on our hands, which is your expression that you use. So we were going to not try and push any buttons on the dashboard until after Easter. And I think that that, um, in retrospect, served us very well. Um, it, it kept panic away from a lot of people, including you know, people on this call and ourselves included. Um, it gave us the ability to look at what was important and what's not. It gave us the ability to come up with um, the business survival blueprint, which really helped a lot of people last year. Um, so I really think that that's fantastic advice. And Dave, I wanted to move from that to something else. Um, let me just find it for a minute. Uh, where is it? Yes, Colin, I agree. The stop and take three deep breaths is an amazing technique just to get your wits about you. Yeah, that's a, that's great advice to just take that those deep breaths and and you know for most of us we're lucky our crises aren't you know um, you know we're not hanging from the top of a tree with a chainsaw and we've just cut one of our legs off that's not necessarily our crisis our crisis is you know we might have a cash flow issue or some clients have cancelled or somebody's spread some stuff about us on social media that's not correct or you know whatever we see as a crisis is relatively minor by the bigger things so um we do we really should take take that uh breathing technique and and go and actually think about it and and don't respond immediately it's so funny people are so passionate about the moment um mm. that they you know they respond too fast i remember when i was in corporate i had this guy working for me it was really annoying me and he sent me this useless email and i basically to get it out of my system, I, I wrote a whole lot of swear words of what I'd actually want to tell him, even though I was his boss. And I typed that into the email thinking, but because I used to send so many emails, I thought, oh, that's got it out of my system. Okay, what's next? And I hit send. 
I quickly had to run and find his office. Luckily, he wasn't there, and I was able to delete it on on his end. Colin, no, Colin. Um, Dave, I want to ask you this because we're getting getting up towards the hour now, and I want to give people the opportunity to ask a couple of questions. But there's one thing here I want to ask you. You talk about Colin Powell's 40-70 rule for making decisions. That was in some of the correspondence we had backwards and forwards on this. Tell us about that and how you've used it and and how it can work for the people on this call. Okay, so his rule basically, if you could you put it up on the screen? The last PowerPoint slide has got that. Um, So basically when he was at war, he would um, perceive what 100% of the information looked like. He wouldn't make a decision with less than 40% because he wouldn't make a good decision. But he wouldn't wait until he had over 70% because over 70, he'd lose the, the time to strike. So his golden rule is that make decisions in that 40 to 70%. When I first read it, I didn't get it. And then um, within a day, we got called to a boat overturned in Cook Strait. Now, Cook Strait is a huge piece of water. It's 14 miles um, wide or 14 yeah nautical miles wide at its smallest point it's a huge piece of water so if we got a call that said boat overturned in cook strait we could start getting ready we could call in people we could put on wetsuits we could do a lot of things but we wouldn't take off and start using the fuel and because time is precious in the helicopter we needed at least a rough area of where they were. But once we had that, we hit the 40% and we could take off. But if we waited for over 70, then we would be worried about um, exactly how many number of people on board. Doesn't matter if we see anyone in the water, we'll pick them up. Um, What they're wearing, doesn't matter if we see anyone in the water, we'll pick them up. Police are doing this huge investigation to see if it's true. If we waited, for all of that information, we would never take off. So we use that 4070 rule and we're using it in the COVID response. We we just get enough information to make a a logical, what we hope is a logical decision. And we always have a backup plan if we can, because you know, sometimes you make the wrong decision. So no decisions are permanent. And well, some of them are. So you've got to, when one of the, uh, I act as the controller, which is in the incident management thing, the boss, and some decisions you can make knowing you could change them and back out and others you're on a one-way path and you want to be really careful when you choose the ones when you're on a one-way path that you might want 70% on those. But, but my, my take on it is people who don't make decisions who constantly want more information they're afraid to make the decision or they they don't want to be making the decision at all sometimes you just have to act and um and i want to finish mike with uh, the mind map which is the the first um thing which is all about acting and it's something i just discovered today when i was getting ready for this call um if you put up the second slide, actually, or number three, the one with the big, the third one safe. Yep. The next one down. 
So this is what I used to teach people for earthquakes and all those questions. So when we were in the heli, we would stop. We would take that 30 seconds. We'd assess, assess the situation, figure out a plan, start executing the plan. But then we would continually circle back to assess. We wouldn't always stop again. Um, but you can't just go down a road without reassessing. Is it working? But then my favorite part is actually the bottom of it. What I used to teach people, people get paranoid if someone's um, not breathing. And I would say if they're not breathing, do anything because you can't possibly make it worse. People worry about breaking necks or, and I'm like, how can you possibly make it worse if you're not acting? If you don't do anything else, just call for help. And the not to act is to call 111. Well, if it's just beyond what you could do, well, then get some help, even if you have to pay for it or whatever it looks like. But people get stuck in the do I act, do I not act? And if you spend too much time there, people die or your business dies or the deal, you miss out on the deal. And, and so that is very much about emergency stuff, but I think it really fits in well with what we're talking about tonight. I think it's a, a fantastic place to, um, to sort of stop the formal part of this call and just go into questions and any questions that people have got of Dave or any insights that people would like to share in the, the last minute or so, grab your last screenshot there um, whilst we're waiting on that. Um, there's the six R's if you want to take a screenshot of that as well. Reduction, readiness, response, recovery, relationships and review. So grab your screenshot there. And um, Dave, thank you so much. We'll stop the share now. And I'm also going to just stop the recording. So bye to everybody in recording world. And we'll see you again. And for those of you that are still here,